Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Opportunity Knocks, the podcast that talks about the business and entrepreneurial journey. Uh, and we are back yet again with another fantastic guest. Today's guest I met by chance somewhere around a year ago, give or take a month. I got a random Instagram direct message sent to me saying, hey, I'd love to talk to you. I think you've got a good following and we could bring some value to each other. And it basically was talking about... Um, I, I hate to use the, 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 the phrase, but it just comes to mind how to hack the Instagram algorithm to get a little bit more reach and growth for the people that were involved. And there was a group of about 20 or so people put together. And the concept was keep an eye on each other's stuff, like comment and engage. And it was about creating connection. And while that group has kind of fizzled a little bit over the last couple of months, what has developed out of it has become a connection with today's guest. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, I would I am honored and pleased to introduce you to Benjamin Carey. Uh, Benjamin is kind of the epitome of an entrepreneur in my mind. He's got his hands in a lot of different pots. He does a lot of good things for people, both professionally and personally. He's a philanthropist. He's a hard worker. Uh, and he's got one hell of a backstory that we we're going to pull out of him today and share <laughs> to hopefully help make your life and experience a little bit better, uh, whether it be personal as an entrepreneur or just in general. So Benjamin, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule and coming to visit with us today. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah. So let's, let's dive right in. Uh, let, let's go through your bio a little bit. Uh, you sent over earlier today, CEO of Center Street Interactive. Give us a look, give us the, the, the elevator pitch on what Center Street Interactive is. So that was a spinoff that I started after I left the city. I worked for a big ad agency in the city and um, was in the online education business and the industry got heavily regulated and changed quite a bit. And as a result, my income dropped off. And eventually, you know, doing that commute, that, uh, two hours that door commute, to door started wearing on me and you start to compare, help. uh, exactly. You start to compare the commute with the finance. And at one point it just, it made sense to leave. And I ventured out on my own and it's, it's, it's a lot different. Um, the online education space was very lucrative and you know, when you're dealing with big institutions sending you hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars a month for their campaigns. And then now you're dealing with realtors and attorneys and small businesses. It's, it's completely different. Um, but, um, but so yeah, I, I ventured out on my own. And so now I have this, this small marketing company and it's me and one other person and a bunch of freelancers that I use and okay. it's good. I have a ton of flexibility, making a fraction of what I was making. Um, still smiling though. Still smiling. I always see you with a smile on your face. And, um, you know, it's been a little challenging to scale. Um, being like the main guy and not having a big team is, is, a, is a big change as well. Who's, I, I like to ask whenever I speak to, to, to other entrepreneurs, who's your target market? Who, who's your, your ideal client? Small business owners. Okay. Not, and what, what is the need that that small business owner would have that you could solve for them? So a lot of these small businesses, believe it or not, are still doing newspaper ads, yep. man. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, they just, they're not really doing lead generation digitally. They're not doing social media. They have Facebook pages set up in their own name instead of a business name mm -hmm. and all sorts of stuff that, you know, being in the media business ourselves and in that online world, we take for granted, but 
you know, it never ceases to amaze me that they, there's really, there's a huge need for it. Um, you know, I, I constantly come across people now. I mean, it's 2019, your digital assets, your domain names, your just everything associated with your digital identity. Right. Um, people don't necessarily protect that. It's not organized. They don't know what account it's in, who owns it. And I've actually come across a few clients that those assets have been held hostage or they just, you know, yep. those things are so important. You have to protect them. And I tell people all the time, one of the most important passwords I have is the one on my GoDaddy account. Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. And, and so to answer your question, they need these smaller businesses, they need help. They need to get introduced to that digital arena and, and show them how lead generation works and social media. Um, and it, you know, this. it's, it's changed so much. I mean, at one time having a website was like the big thing coming up on that Holy grail of the first page of Google was yep. the, was the most important thing out there. And that's changed. Yeah. It's about engagement now. You that's know, exactly right. Thing, things that you would do in person when you're meeting someone at a bar or a backyard barbecue or at a social event. Now it's about doing all those things digitally and doing them online. It's, you know, it's you know, not I, really rocket science. Yeah. I, I look at the world and say, you know, as, as, as I was growing up, the corporate world ruled the world. Everything was corporate. I, I, entrepreneur was usually the guy who couldn't get a job and created something and was selling, you know, selling rocks on the corner, trying to make a living. And it was kind of a dirty word. Now it's kind of the sexy in thing. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. And I struggled using that word for years because I said, I'm a small business owner. I looked at it. My limiting belief was an entrepreneur was someone who took a, took an idea, built it up and became successful and is running something bigger. Um, and then over the course of time, going through bouncing from brokerage to brokerage, getting into the restaurant business, doing all the little things that I did that I look back on and say, were the greatest learning opportunities I had, but they kind of were distractions. Now that I look back on them, um, there were moves that I should have made that I didn't moves that I shouldn't have made that I did. And you learn, and that's the entrepreneurial journey for me. It's like, I had a conversation with someone yesterday and he put up a post that says that uh, the, the, the true entrepreneur is the guy who failed 50 times before he figured it out. And immediately in my head, I, I said to him, like, only 50? Are you kidding me? It's, it's usually like <laughs> add a couple zeros to that. That's how many times on a daily basis we screw up. Um, but to me, that's that's the exciting part about it is learning from those failures and embracing them to say, how can I do it differently or how can I avoid ever doing that again? And knowing the difference between the two, because I think it's important. Yeah, I, I think for me, the, the most challenging thing is not having that big team associated with you. So, I mean, I, I managed multi-million dollar companies in the city. I ran the, a big uh, health and fitness center across from from uh, the stock exchange. Okay. $8 million P&L, staff of over 100. And um, not having that and being the main guy and, you know, running these smaller businesses has been very difficult to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for me, like I would say past year, year and a half has been really challenging personally. And with that, unfortunately, being the only guy it kind of has affected my business and, and not allowed me to, to run it the way I would have liked, um, you know, not having a team to rely on and kind of take take some of that on. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit because it, it's, it's, again, it's something that I'm going through right now and building that team. Talk to me about, you say not having the team, what are the limitations and what is it that you look for in the right team members? So I always look and like to hire people for their just 
integrity and their value and just really being a good person. That That's first and foremost, the most important thing in hiring or bringing anyone into my circle. Um, I, I run a nonprofit, actually two nonprofits, and um, they've been really successful. And the reason for it, and, and really the reason for any of the teams that I've managed when I worked on Wall Street, same thing, just bringing in people that are that are loyal, hard workers and, and good people at heart. If you do that, all the other stuff can can fall into place. Have you ever gone through the exercises of establishing a mission, a vision and core values for any of your organizations, whether they were yours or, or those that you worked for? Yeah. Yeah. How has that process been for you? Because it's something that we talk about a lot. Our, our actual first podcast guest literally wrote a book on core values. Um, and it's a phenomenal book. If you'd like, I actually got a bunch of copies inside and would happy to take one with you. Absolutely. How, how did understanding that, because I think it's important for any business owner, whether they're an entrepreneur or corporate CEO, anything in between, you know, the guy who's running the newspaper stand downstairs to the guy who's running the biggest bank in the world. How, how important is that process in your opinion? I mean, it's so important. It's, it's your business identity, you know, it's your business personality and it comes across and talking points, uh, the staff and the culture that you that you establish and exude. It comes across in your fonts and your colors, every single thing that that business does. It's so important to really think that through. And it's also really important to stick to it, man. You know, a lot of companies start out and they come up with a great mission and and that sort of thing, um, but they don't necessarily stick to it, especially as they start experiencing growing pains. It's fun because I've since, since we've rebranded the company, the, the real estate company as Dean Miller real estate, I've obsessed about it. Um, and I took it on and I said, you know, we came up with a lot of kitschy names for the company and some of them were catchy and some of them were just silly and, and juvenile. And at the end of the day, we couldn't come up with something that resonated with what it was I was looking to build. And as the owner, you know, the, the buck stops here. So I'm flexible enough to say what I want isn't necessarily what's right for the market. I've got to listen to the market. And I've always done a good job of that. But one day I turned around and I said, you know, it's just stop. I own 40 different domain names, different versions of it, none of which we're ever going to use, but we locked them up. Uh, and I said, you know what it's got to be? It's got to be Dean Miller Real Estate. And the guy I was talking to at the time just stopped and smiled, and you saw this glow around his head. And I was, he says, why? I said, because the reality of it is the successes of what we do, everybody who works for me takes ownership of that. But when there's a failure and a problem, I don't want them going after my staff, my team, my people. I want them coming back to me because I'm the one who created the monster. And if I can't be accountable, then what right do I have to run the business? So while I still don't think it's the perfect name for the company, it makes sense for what we're doing right now. And that's one of our key core values is taking ownership. Um, And I, I want everyone to take ownership of their own actions, behaviors, business. But it's my responsibility as the owner of the company to help them get to where they need to be. Um, and, and that that's always meant a lot to me. So we're on our third version of our core values because we're, we're living them day to day and the order and structure of them take different precedent, you know, which learning to laugh is something that's important to me. I've, I've said it since the day that I buried my brother, you, you have to every day, the only way to be successful, you've got to laugh at yourself and you've got to make someone else laugh or smile. And that defines what a successful day is for me. And it's, it was at the bottom of the list. And I looked at it and I said, no, that has to move up. I've got to be around people who are fun. I take myself seriously. I take what we do very seriously, but I'm always going to do it with a smile. You know, Corey will tell you, I, I love sarcasm because I'm good at it and I can take it from anybody and I don't get offended. 
if you can't laugh at yourself, you're not going to, you're not going to work well here with us. Without question. It's just the way I that love we that. are. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So, all right. So you mentioned it and, and, you know, we talked briefly before we started about philanthropic stuff. You mentioned that you, you, you have two nonprofits. Let's talk a little bit about it. So Long Island elite football yep. uh, is, is one that I started with uh, a gentleman that I met and uh, it's, it's been phenomenal. I mean, football, as you know, is on the ropes. Yeah. People want to eliminate it. Yep. And uh, it's amazing because there are more concussions in soccer. And I mean, there's statistics out there for, for the rate of concussion in soccer and wrestling and hockey and so many other sports, but you don't hear anything about that. Right. Well, um, because they're not popular on TV at the end of the day, like the NFL is. Exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately you, you hit the nail on the head, unfortunately, because it is popular and it's on every Sunday and it's, it's so mainstream um, parents and politicians and people associate what they see on Sunday with 300 pound men mm-hmm. who are running lightning speed, colliding with each other, like trains yep. crashing into each other. They think little Johnny at six, seven years old is doing the same thing. Right. And this poor kid, like he's having a blast, but the helmet and the weight of the equipment and everything else, he can barely move in this stuff. Yeah. Like they're not yeah. getting CTE. Like I hate to break the news <laughs> to, to you. <laughs> listen, to say it's impossible for him to get it, we, we can't say that. But the reality of it is the, the reality has to be the reality. You're going to get bumped and bruised. I, as a kid who was, I, I, I joke all the time. I was like a South Park figure as a kid. I was as wide as I was tall. Uh, and when I, when I played midget football, when I played foot midget football, I was always the last one on the track running that the coaches were, were yelling at and screaming at and cracking the whip. Um, but a, as a kid, I had seven concussions, but only two of them came from football. And one of them, I actually didn't have my helmet on at the time I was in uniform, nice. but I ended up falling and smashing my head into, into a, uh, like a, a concrete column. Uh, Cause we were just screwing around near the parking lot and tripped and fell and smashed my head. But, but I, I can relate. This is why I love watching a lot of what you do because you're so, you have that obsession with the kids in football and doing good things and creating leadership. Um, it's, it's more than just the rah, rah, getting out there and winning games. It's about, it's about creating, uh, you know, strong personalities, people who are smart, who know how to leverage the opportunities that are presented to themselves. So keep going. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, that, that passion stems from a few different areas. One is that you know, my own childhood was horrendous. And, and as a result, I've kind of gone to the opposite extreme. I love working with kids. Um, I, I really enjoy working with kids and the football part of it. I mean, youth football, when, when I played, it was, it was a ton of fun. And uh, having had kids of my own, my son was always big and he stood out like a sore thumb. So like most of the other sports that we did, he was just killing people. You know, we played soccer and he'd score, th- th- score three or four goals a game, but I was constantly like biting my nails on the sideline. Cause I'm like, Oh, he's going to kill someone. Yeah. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Slow down, be easy. And, um, when I introduced him to football, I was like, great. You know, I took him and four other soccer players. I'm like, look, everything we told you not to do in soccer. I said, you guys you can do it. anything you want, man. <laughs> in fact, we're going to encourage you to do it. So all the stuff we told you not to do, you can do now. And for kids like him that were a little more aggressive, a lot more bigger, um, and to a certain extent shunned in the other sports, now they had a platform where they could play hard and and be encouraged and rewarded for what they were doing. And um, football, in my opinion, is is one sport that just it teaches so many lessons that transcend the field. We take all kids, so you know, kids that are slow, overweight too small, not fast enough, whatever. There's a, there is literally a place on a football roster for all of those kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's awesome. You know, I, I, 
enjoy it so much. I, I love working with the kids. You know, my favorite kids to coach are the ones that are a handful with the attitude problems and the ones with ADHD and just like the ones that some coaches want to pull their hair out. Like I love those kids because what you see and how you see them grow while they're participating, it's just awesome, yeah. man. It's so Co- much fun. Coaching the uncoachable. Exactly. I, I, I love that. And I, and I could, I could relate, you know, it's, football was, has always been an obsession for me. I always loved the game. It's what I wanted to do when I was a kid before I realized that God only blessed me with certain physical capabilities that I couldn't do it. Um, but some of the most valuable lessons I've learned in life come from being in a football uniform or being in a, being in a, in a, in a film room or being on the trainer's table. And those one-on-ones I had with the coaches, um, you know, a lot of the stories I talk about, the, the key learning points from them stem from specific incidents where, where we're around my, my time in football. Um, you know, I started playing, I was, uh, I guess in fifth grade. So it would have made me about 10 years old. I played through high school, blew out my knee at football camp and that kind of ended my career. Wanted to go play division three, ended up getting cut, getting cut and couldn't do it. Uh, and that was the end of it for me. But one of the most valuable lessons was my senior year of high school. I had arthroscopic surgery a couple of days before the season started. And back then it was a six week recovery period. You needed two weeks to practice before you can get into uniform that would have put us into the playoffs. So the coaches even said to me, you're, you're done. And I was, I was devastated by it because I just loved being around. I was the guy who would be the first one in the weight room and the last one out just because I loved being there. And I hated Saturdays. I loved, I loved practice because you got to play for two hours and beat the crap out of each other. And it was <laughs> release all that aggression. And then on game day, you know, what do you get? 30, 40 plays if you're lucky. Um, but I'll never, for, I'll never forget uh, Coach Flatley, my my uh, Garden City High School football coach. Great coach, coach. by the way. Yeah. He, never never played the game, but one of the win- most winningest yeah, coaches. Of yeah. And, and he was, he is a grumpy old, to, to use a word that not many people know, and I probably can't even pronounce right, but he's that grumpy old coach. Crum rudging, crum crum rudging, you know, however it is, we'll we'll link that up. There's, there's a, there's a social media post for you right there, how to spell. Uh, But he was just a cranky old SOB in most people's eyes. And when you sat down with him and talked football, he was just one of the smartest, warmest, most engaging people in the world. And there was so much knowledge within him that he couldn't get out fast enough. Uh, It's, it's why you look at the guys who are coaching at GC now, they all, they all stem from him. Uh, and, and, you know, the 40 something game win streak before they lost their first game this year. Uh, and, you know, God willing this weekend, they'll win, they'll win yet another Long Island championship, but I'll never forget him coming to me and saying, we could still use your help. Like, what, I'm, I'm not going to be the water boy. I'm not doing that. I want to be around the team, but if I'm not in a Jersey, you know, and he's like, no, you, you've been with the offensive and defensive lineman for three years. You're, you're a smarter person than you are a talented player, he said to me. <laughs> and that that hurt, but he said it with a smile and you never saw Flatley smile. I was like, all right, so what do you got planned? He says, I want you to work with Bobby D. Felice and you'll wear headphones on the weekend and I want you at practice to watch and you'll engage with us and you'll keep you'll be another set of eyes and ears for us. And I kind of was honored to to be able to say, hey, you know That's what? awesome. I got to wear the jacket and the hat and I, you know, I had to wear the khaki pants like the rest of the coaches did, which I didn't like, but you did what you had to do. Um, and, and the lessons I learned from doing that and and watching the team win and letting every one of the players run out there while the coaches stood back and congratulated each other, having that different perspective just woke me up to so many things in life. And, and I still refer back to it 35 years later. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about the game. It's not just the fun and the crash and the bang and, and the holy cow, that guy almost lost his head. There's something to be said for team sports that 
require everybody to move in sync. It's why Vince Lombardi is one of my favorite people to study. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And, uh, you know, we, we need the help and we need the support. Um, I don't, I don't think it'll ever be outlawed in New York or in general, what you may see if, if things continue, um, and, and some of these politicians continue to beat it up and it's not a whole lot, but you definitely hear about them. Um, you'll see more travel teams, more elite teams yep. and less of the local town teams, which is unfortunate because it's such a great game for kids of all abilities. Um, so my partner in that business is Gerald Filardi. Okay. Unbelievable, uh, man, human being, just real, just old school, great guy, gentleman. And, um, he played for Penn state, played for Paterno, okay. went to a, a few national championships and, uh, he played for the Steelers and he's just phenomenal guy. And, you know, the two of us is just, have just worked our butts off to, to promote p- football and raise the level of football on Long Island. And it, it's been awesome. So this Long Island elite football, you can, you can check it out on Long Island elite football.com. Perfect. Um, it's a travel program that's postseason starts after all of the local town programs are finished and we've traveled to Delaware, to Virginia this year, we're going to Atlanta in January. So we're just starting practice after Thanksgiving. And it's, it's great for kids who really truly love the game. Um, it's a great game for everyone of all abilities, but you have some kids who just like football's their thing and being in New York, it's, there's not a lot of opportunity. Yeah. So we've created a bunch of them. Kids are out there playing and practicing and getting ready to go away for the championship in 20, 30 degree weather. And the parents are all psycho football parents. So there's that psycho in a good way, psycho in a good way. And uh, (laughs) yeah. And they, everybody just really gels well together. And, uh, but one of the challenges we've had is, uh, is bringing all of the egos and football, the leaders together on Long Island. And I find that to be, more challenging in football than many other sports. And it's like that from the youth level, right up through the high yeah. school level. It's, it's sometimes real tough getting guys to check their egos and play nice in the sandbox, mm-hmm. but we've come a long way. Uh, we have great guys from the high school level, um, you know, right on down to youth who've really come together. And it's, it's amazing. Like when I see these people working together and some of these guys, they don't really see eye to eye, you know, they, they, there's guys that are known not to see eye to eye on things and they've, come together in this program and they work together. You see also the private high schools like St. Anthony's, uh, Lehigh and um, Holy Trinity mm-hmm. working together with the public school coaches. And there's none of that animosity that you right. kind of hear about outside of there. And so our program, we advocate for public school, football, private school, you know, like we're not in bed with any of the specific private schools. Okay. We, we promote football in general, but it's been awesome to just see everyone working together. So nice. we've, pretty much doubled in size every single year. Uh, it's been awesome. You're creating a community, creating a difference and creating, ho- hopefully, how, how long have you been doing it? This is our, I believe this is our third year. Okay. Yeah, and we have a lot of great things. We, the kids played at Columbia University in the city, which was just unreal. We established uh, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the Boomer game, the Empire yeah, Challenge. Sure. So we created that for the kids at the youth level and it's called the Empire. Um, I'm sorry, it's called the Liberty Challenge. And so we had it the first year at LIU. Uh, last year we had it at Columbia University in the city. So it's the best kids on Long Island play the best kids from, from New York City in this all-star game. And being in the city at Columbia University under the lights, the skyline That's surrounding be incredible. it, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. We've had the kids at MetLife because we have an August game 
where the best kids on Long Island play the best kids in New Jersey. Okay. Same thing, you know, typical town team might get the chance to go to MetLife and play for five minutes at halftime. Right. When we run our event, the Long Island, New Jersey Rumble, we literally have the whole stadium to ourselves for eight games. It's unbelievable. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. You're a big thinker, huh? It's not, it's not many people doing stuff like that. I, and I, I love it. I, I'm, I'm absorbing what you're talking about because I, I look at that and I say, similar to my situation, you're creating the opportunities for some of these kids to not only become better athletes, better physical, better, better off physically, but you're creating, the game leads to creating leadership opportunities for people. And whether it be that one guy who, who just takes ownership of the entire team, you know, the quote unquote quarterback in the huddle who takes charge of it, or the guy who's the, the number three tight end on, and who's lucky to get on the special teams who goes out there and does something special that everybody else wants to support and create those opportunities. So I think that's fantastic. I love it. And I'm definitely going to dig a little bit deeper and see what we can do to raise some, some awareness and support for you as well. That'd be great. And yeah. if you ever want to coach, we have the opportunity to put those headphones back on on the <laughs> we'll, sideline. We'll, we'll see about that. Like I said, I'm riddled with arthritis. So when it gets <laughs> cold this time of year, I'm the guy who wants to stay in under the hot blanket. But I, I appreciate it. I would definitely, I definitely will take you up and come out and spend some time and learn a little bit more about what you're doing. So awesome. at worst, we can create awareness and help you fund some of these, these fantastic opportunities you're creating. That would be welcome. Yeah. Be so great. tell me, tell me about the other, the other organization you're involved with. Um, what other organization? You mentioned that you had, you're involved in two nonprofits. The other one was a heart association nonprofit. So uh, American Heart Association has this young professionals organization that okay. I got involved with. Okay. Um, and when I had open heart surgery, I started a blog afterwards. And just for therapeutic reasons, um, I started this blog. I just started blogging. I was so traumatized when I got diagnosed with an aortic aneurysm. And, um, so I started this blog and the blog turned into a book that I had written after heart surgery. And that led me to having a relationship with the young professionals, the American Heart Association, young professionals, um, group. And, um, just as a result, I've been very active with them, just raising money. I ran the New York city marathon and raised money for them, um, back in 09. And, so anything heart related? It's right up your alley. Through them, yeah, I'm involved. And I do a lot of stuff with them. You said something, we're going to go in a very different direction, but you said you started a blog. What was, because we live in a world that's so saturated with, we look at it as people who do it every day. We say it's so, it's so oversaturated, but the reality of it is it's, we're just touching, scratching the, the surface, I think. Um, I think everybody who's got a message, whether it's the one that's between their own ears or they want to help other people should be doing what we're doing right now. Um, yeah, without a doubt. And to be honest, every great marketing company more so now than ever has realized that those blogs, those mic, that micro content is more valuable with those engaged likes and those meaningful likes than having 10,000 likes on some bullshit. We're talking about it today. Website. Like, you know, in, in a year, our follower count on Instagram specifically, because it's what we were talking to Corey and I were talking about earlier today, went from 700 and change and we just broke the 900 mark. And all of a sudden we're starting to watch the numbers go up more and more. And what do we attribute that to? Yes, we've gotten a little bit more strategic in what we do. We're not just putting content out for the sake of putting it out. We're putting it out with either a message or a call to action. 
both of which are, are geared towards helping the person who's going to give us that three seconds, hopefully, to look at it. Um, and as a result of that, our engagement has gone gone up and we've gotten smarter in how we do it. And that's just come from practice. Like we talked about all the failures, you know, I've, uh, you go through my history at social media. I've, I've failed every day, including this morning. Tomorrow, I'll know it was, it was a failure, but it created a new opportunity for me. But I, I think, you know, we go, I never did the blog thing and I've always been a writer. I've got, a, I've got an Evernote account that's got thousands and thousands of pages of just ramblings from me. And they go in there and they, they go there to die. Uh, and, and hopefully when the time comes for me to kick, my kids will get the password and they can go back and read <laughs> right. it. But there are other people who've said to me, take all of that and create a book. There's a story in there that somebody needs Without to hear. Without a doubt. Uh, and more and more that's, that's becoming, I've become more and more aware of the importance of that to say, even if you go through the whole process of becoming a real published Simon and Schuster author and you make a dollar off of it, or it costs you a hundred thousand to do it because it's not free to write, write a book. Even if one person buys it and it has an impact on them, you know, one sentence has an impact. It was worth it. Yeah. So, and you're hundred percent right. Like Andy Frisella, who we were talking yep. about earlier, like his thing is, is the best way to get engagement on social media is to be vulnerable and just be yourself. Like yeah. don't just be vulnerable and be yourself. And it's so true. Like people grab on, they attach to that. So for me, like I started writing this blog about having to have open heart surgery and everything from like the feelings as a healthy man and finding out you have this thing and wrestling with that and the ego issues and everything else. to ultimately having the surgery and being terrified and going into the waiting room and everything that's associated with that and the recovery afterwards, I started posting about it. And then I started getting emails from Ireland and the UK and South Africa and these weird places. And I was like, wow, people are really like interested in this. They weren't hackers. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't spam. And um, it just grew and grew. And finally it got to the point where um, someone suggested that I turn it into a book. And so I wrote this memoir about having, it's called Barefoot in November, Barefoot in November. You can find it on Amazon. And um, I just wrote about the whole experience and it was great. And, uh, I mean, to this day, I still get a ton of emails and, and direct messages about open heart surgery. And it's, it's pretty cool because I've met some people and, you know, when you're talking about something like that, it, it immediately, like, there's no warming up period. Like mm -hmm. you're immediately like seeing this person's soul. It's very, uh, it's intimate when you're talking about heart surgery and you're talking about like someone close to them getting it or they're getting heart surgery, it kind of cuts through the process of building up that relationship. Yeah. You're just raw right from the beginning. And uh, it's interesting. I love it. And it, you, you focus, I, I listen, I'm listening very carefully to your choice of words. And, and it's one of my favorite things to do during the podcast, because you keep going back to the word relationship. And, and I, I love that because that's what really opportunity and this is all about is creating relationships. And, and I had a long conversation yesterday with someone who was sitting in that exact same chair talking about it. And we define relationship. Most people define relationships as somebody that you're super close to, the person, the people you know, like, and trust the most, the people you are intimate with, the people you care for the most. But the reality of it is, even in passing, we've developed a type of relationship that could potentially be mutually beneficial. And to be honest with you, has, at least from my side. Agreed. Uh, I hope I've contributed something oh, positive to you. But um, I think more people need to live in that world where they're open to it. You know, they say we have limited number of friends. You look at, you look at social media, Facebook says you can only have 5,000 friends. Um, but the reality is anybody you come and passing with, you have that opportunity to create a relationship 
that has the potential to be positive. And we're, we're not supposed to know, like, and trust everybody. But when you get the chance to sit down with someone and hear, hear the story like you're sharing with us right now, and you've given me the opportunity to share some of my own silliness in my past, um, it, it makes me very happy to be able to connect with people who, who think this way. Uh, and I'm glad that it's been a recurring conversation at this table um, because the relationships are all about it. You know, with, yes, we all need to get out of bed and make a living in the morning. None of us go to work to go broke. Um, but, and, and I'll, I'll say it because I warned you before we started, I don't think you're the kind of guy who gets out of bed in the morning to make a dollar either. I think you have that focus of making a difference. And it's my, one of my favorite beaten to death, abused lines. It's a blessing and a curse, man. It, it is. And you know what? <laughs> That's what really motivates me. I, I love both because the blessing's the thing you chase and the curse is the thing that kicks, kicks me in the ass and makes me want to want to do it more. Um, you know, again, another thing I was working on this morning, the difference between want and need. You know, I, I hear you talk about the things you, you, you know, you need, and it's simple for you because they live in that little bubble, but the things you want that could increase that need, you know, and create newer opportunities. So I, I find, I find you to be a very fascinating person. And, and, and <laughs> I, I love that you've got so many different channels. So you're a survivor of, of an aortic aneurysm. You've started nonprofit companies. You love working with kids. You're Let's face it, you're a digital media specialist, if not superstar, uh, and, and I'll let your ego determine where that, where that comes from. Uh, but let, let's get humble. Um, you mentioned to me that in, in your bio that you sent over, you sent over the words, recovering speaker, sober in 1990 at the age of 18 years old. That had to be some hell of a story. Yeah, it's something that early on, I, uh, you know, for a while it was like taboo. And now it's, I don't want to say trendy because that's a horrible thing to say. But, but there's like a badge of honor that comes with it. Yeah, it's it's more acceptable now, which is which is awesome. Um, and I mean, it was impossible as an 18-year-old trying to get sober, man. It's just, and in the past, I would say five to 10 years, I've really tried to reconnect with the young people who are going through what I went through at 18, because like I said, it was, it was just so hard. There's so much peer pressure and so many things. I mean, you, you sitting around a room and a lot of times, you know, these 12 step groups are part of it. And you're sitting around a room with a bunch of men and women that are like 50, 60 years old. Yep. And you're like, what am I doing here, yep. man? I can't identify with this. So there were a lot of things that I was fortunate to uh, have happen when I was getting sober at 18 that fell into place. And a lot of it was, uh, timing and, um, I don't know, a lot of it was just coincidence. I'm, I'm very grateful that I had certain things happen and, you know, these kids, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable how hard it is. But, but like, like you said, uh, let me, if, and if I'm overstepping my bounds, we can pause and you can curse at me and take a swing at me over the table if you want. I'm okay with that. No but boundaries, was man. The, was there, you know, because, because addiction has come up now in three conversations that I've had recently. Uh, like I mentioned, I had a published author in here who, who wrote a book about addiction and recovery. I had another young guy in here yesterday who talked about recovery at a very young age. Um, and, and now you, and there's, there's commonality there. Was there, just cause I'm curious, was there something that, tr what was it that triggered in you to say, this has got to stop. I need help. What can I do to get out of this? Any idea? It's just cause I'm curious. Well, well, let's start with this. When I got sober in 1990, they told us one in 30 of us in my second rehab after a whole bunch of other shit had happened, 
they told us that one in 30 of us would get and stay sober longer than a year. And I was that person. So the statistics are absolutely horrible. What has to happen? A lot. The reality is that people don't get sober. A lot, most of them don't. That's the sad reality of it. And what has to happen are a lot of different things. For me personally, I've always been a logical, fairly intelligent person. And for me, one of the biggest things was that when I did X, Y, and Z, it led to very bad things. And that happened over and over and over and over again. And every single time that happened, those bad things happened, I was always drinking. So after a while, as a logical person, you're saying to yourself like, wow, maybe these people are right. You know, I had coaches and teachers and family members and so many people say, hey, Ben, like, don't you think you should stop drinking, man? Like every time you're drinking, this this happens. Right. You know, you're getting locked up in jail and you're getting put in jail for grand larceny and you're fighting and like all these crazy things are happening to you. Um, you got kicked off of the uh, track team and you were all county because you were drinking. Like just so many bad things up in, in, in high school happened to me that um, finally I was like, wow, like maybe I really do have a problem. But even at that point, even realizing you have a problem, there's still like a long way to go from right. that. So, so many things has, have to happen. Becoming self-aware of the fact that there is a problem is just the first in many steps. It's the first yeah. step, man. And there, there's so and many I, other things that I appreciate happen. you talking about because, you know, like, like, like we mentioned, you know, my, my, my brother, uh, you know, uh, we, we had suicide uh, 10 years ago and, what went through the mind of the family is why did it happen? What could have happened? What could we have done different? And you never solve the problems for someone else. But I, I think more and more the people, people in general need to be more aware of the people that are around them to identify these problems so that you can be there to support and help um, not dictate because I, like you, I think express it much clearer than I'm doing right now. You became aware and you started to listen and you took that upon yourself. And I think, it's a blessing to have people around that care and say, Hey, you might want to, they're not going to tell you what to do, but you give you that guidance. Say you might want to do this. I think more and more people need to be aware of what's going on in other people's heads. Yeah. And, and then from that standpoint, you know, um, there's, it, it's so easy. There are so many counselors and paper documents, certificate degree holding people out there that are important and relevant and hold some value in the whole process of getting sober. But at the end of the day, there are a lot more things that aren't as official as that, that someone needs to get sober. For me, it was, you know, connecting with the right people, you know, having that counselor in rehab who connected with me on whether it was with sports or whatever that was able to get inside and beyond the walls that I had put up and really identify with me. It was being able to identify with other young people um, as opposed to just being preached at and said, you need to do this, this, and this, and just, you know, it changes things to, again, relationships, yeah. like those relationships are more important than the degree or the person telling you, you need to do yep. this. You know, it's not just about a professional saying, this is my professional opinion. It's about the people who are around you that say, Hey, you know, stop being a jackass. Right. You know, kind of have those moments to put it real light. 
Um, I, I appreciate your willingness to share that because I think it's a message. And if, if anybody takes anything out of this, I hope that last two or three minutes we talked about makes somebody aware of the fact that the people around you have problems and, and you can't judge them. You know, as a salesman, we always talk about it. Well, what happens when that knucklehead on the other side of the phone starts to flip you off and curse at you? And I, I, when I do my coaching and training, I tell people all the time, what, you know, don't take it personal. What could be going on in that person's life at that moment? They could be the, don't call them every four-letter word in the book. Their, their dog could have just got run over. They could have been diagnosed with cancer. They could have just had a bad day. Could be the nicest, you know, it could have been Sister Mary Jane from down the block. You don't know what her story is. And, and too many people for too long in my life prejudged other people based on a quick experience. Um, and having that mindset has me getting coached to understand that and how having the opportunity to coach other people to do it has made a huge difference in, you know, I kind of take on a little bit more of that Zen role, um, you know, that Zen mindset. And I think the one thing I have in common, especially with the three of you that I, that I, I referenced earlier, you've all kind of got a little bit of that calming clarity uh, when it comes to the biggest challenges that some people go through in life. So I appreciate you sh- being so open and sharing that with us. Yeah. I've been told my baseline isn't normal. Just having had like such a rough childhood yeah. and just everything else. And I, I kind of consider that a compliment because, because of the fact that my baseline isn't what everyone else's is it, like you said, it allows me to deal with things in a lot calmer manner and just kind of take everything and just roll with the punches. Um, you know, I think it to, leads to people kind of questioning your integrity. And, and I say this because I've, I've experienced similar things to that. I don't think to the level you have, but when, when you have that, that lower baseline, I think it challenges people to take your integrity into consideration. But the minute they get that it's authentic, all of a sudden there's the, you know, it's, it's the, the hug is not just spread hands. It's wide open arms. Yeah. Without and, a doubt. And, and I, I'd like, personally, I like that. Um, it, it's why I'd love talking to people who have similar personalities to yours because I always go in with that challenge, but because I've experienced it so, so often, I'm always looking for that positive. You know, I tell my kids all the time, find the positive in everything. That's great advice. And just to punctuate that, the, the, this conversation on uh, addiction, recovery and that sort of thing for young people, um, life doesn't end, man. Like there are so many great things that you can do in recovery and it doesn't mean that you're going to be boring and that life is going to suck. That's one of the most important things that young people need to understand. And, um, the last thing is that you don't end up in those rooms or in those circumstances by accident. Like it always amazes me. And someone said this to me like way years ago and it just really stuck with me. Like if you're in an AA meeting or someone's asking you or suggesting that you might have a drinking or drug problem, that doesn't happen to normal people. Right. If it happened to you once, like that doesn't happen to normal people. Yeah. So you're going to continue to have issues the rest of your life if you don't fix it. You got a you got a phenomenal, fantastic, and very unique outlook on life, and and I'm glad you're sitting here so that we could spread the message. Because, like we said, if one person hears it and has an impact, it's worth it. So let's circle back around and and let's stop being deep and let's be more superficial business people for a few minutes and see what we could do. But primarily, our listeners right now are people who are startup entrepreneurs or struggling to understand why it is they are entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, in, in my world of real estate. Most salespeople don't realize that they're a business owner. They just think they have the job of real estate. What do you do for a living? I do real estate. I hate those words. Um, you know, I had realtor.com runs their commercials. You know, real estate is our life. It makes me want to throw something at the TV every time I hear it because it's not. 
It's, it's a means <laughs> to an end. It's part of what we do, but um, let's go back around and, and dig a little bit into your expertise as a business person. Um, you, you touched on something earlier that made me laugh. What percentage of, of small business owners out there now, as you mentioned newspaper and print, and it just makes me laugh because I do believe, I do believe in the power of direct mail when it's very well targeted with the right message. I come from the Dan Kennedy school of message to market and matching them up. (laughs) So when someone gets a piece of mail from me, it's relevant to them, whether they choose to read it or not, that's another issue, Uh, but it's an opportunity for me. What percentage of people do you think out there who are independent, small business owners, entrepreneurs actually understand how to use social media and digital marketing? Not, not well, but at least understand how to use it. Let's create, let's create some clarity and, and crack the whip at some people and say, Hey, wake up and start doing this and stop doing that. I mean, maybe 20% do it well, well enough. Well enough. I don't know if that's, that's probably being generous. Well, Okay. So th- that leads me to the next one. Define well enough for me. Well enough is that baseline where they have a Facebook page that's set up properly and not in their own name or in some silly way. Right. I mean, same thing with an Instagram account that is actually set up properly. They know how to use just basic things that we take for granted, like hashtags. Yeah. They know how the, both the Google and the Instagram and the Facebook algorithms work. And not so much like what's current and what exactly is the Instagram algorithm. How has it changed this month? Like, mm-hmm. I don't expect like someone who's surface doing level. Like, yeah, you surface know, level. You know At least know how it works and that it's out there and that, it's, that it exists. You understand the general meaning of what an algorithm is. You don't know how theirs works because nobody does unless right. you're in the inner circle there. But you understand that you have to live within that ever-changing Correct. algorithm. And, and understand now, especially like things that were big in the 80s, like having a website. Nowadays, it's like having a postage stamp on the internet. Like if you don't understand the relevance and importance of social media and engagement and doing what we're doing right now, like having conversations and establishing meaningful relationships, like that's where the leads are at. That's where the money is at. That's where your, that's where your people and customers are at. Yeah. Give, we'll start to wind down a little bit, but let, let's, talk tactical, give a little bit of advice. What I did an interview the other day, guy says to me, you're dropped into a market. You don't know where it is. You have no, you have minimal money. You have no knowledge, no connections, no relationships. You're dropped into this market. You have 30 days. How do you build your business? What's the first thing you do? And I said, I create a database. I talk to everybody and I spend every waking day possible until I have a database before I move on to the next thing. Now I talk to them to build that audience. I have to provide some value. It's not just about what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. So I walk in knowing I'm a real estate professional. I'm going to build that database while I learn about my market. Who's here, who's in, who's moving in, who's moving out, what are they paying, all those kind of things. Give me some tactical advice on how somebody should leverage social media, what they should be doing to build that, that database. Talk about what you know. Talk about what you know very well and be conversational. Like in real estate, for example, it always amazes me when you go to a social media account and all you see is pictures of homes and the price and the location. Like, really? Like, what are you doing differently than Zillow and like all these other companies out there? And and those other companies are doing it. You see them coming up in your feed and you just, your eyes gloss over, right? Then you come across a guy like yourself who's talking about, how to base the turkey before Thanksgiving, <laughs> but you're also a real estate guy. Hey, and then there are also some of your listings mixed in there. 
That's interesting. Now you caught my attention and I'm checking out this turkey basin recipe that you may have. And I see that you also have three other homes for sale. And even if I'm not looking to buy something, my relative at Thanksgiving dinner is looking to buy a house. And I say, Hey, you know what? I saw this really interesting guy on Instagram. Check this guy out. He's in, he's, he's on the South shore and he check him out. I want to talk about right? two things because the first <laughs> one that made me laugh, we did it. We did a video the other day. Uh, so we started doing these market update videos where we take the stats from the previous month or quarter and we share them with the consumers because we believe as a homeowner, even if you don't plan on moving for another 10 years, you have an obligation to your own financial well-being to understand what's going on and what your house should be worth in the current state of the market. And you can't just go get that quote unquote guesstimate from that big company online that says, this is what your house is worth because they've been known to be wrong up to 35% in certain markets here. It's not as drastic as 35%, but I typically see online online guesstimates of houses that are off by up to 20% on a daily basis. So we're shooting this video the other day, sitting in front of the green screen and Corey's producing it. And as one of the transitions in the video, he just shows somebody based in a Turkey. And I was cracking up the minute you said it because he's like, I don't know if it's right, but I'm like, dude, it's, it's funny. And it lightens the mood. Yeah. And it's not about being serious. I tell people all the time, I'm a jackass and I'm proud of it. Let's get that out there. And I know in the beginning for him as a new guy in, in the company, didn't want to do anything that could potentially embarrass me. I'm like, I, I do that every day. You know, one day you're going to get a picture of me falling down a flight of stairs and you're not going to run down and ask if, if I'm okay. You're going to stand at the top and make sure you got the right angle to share. Cause when I am okay, we want to share that with people. Um, but it, it cracks me up when I see stuff like that. So it was you know, the turkey basting stuff. <laughs> and then the other part, the other part of it is that we, you know, like I mentioned, we believe in putting a message out there that shows people, this is not an event. This is a process. This is not who we are. It's what we do, but this is how and why we do what we do. What kind of impact can we have on your life? My goal is to get every single person who owns a home to look at us as a resource to say, when the time comes for me to sell, that guy's got opportunities for answers to every question I could ever ask. That's how we'll dominate a market but there's 29,000 of us and not everybody's looking to move every day. And average Americans in their house almost 11 years now in the latest stats that I saw. So what do we do? I can't sit on my hands and wait for 11 years for one person. I can't be transactional. I got to run a business. That's what I love about social media, the storytelling, the fun, the, the, and then having the opportunities to do fundraising. Like I said, for, for two major charitable organizations, for you to promote the things you're doing to create the future leaders of the community. I think it's just a great opportunity. So where do you see, where do you see that world moving to? What's, what are going to be the challenges for those who have not gotten into it yet? And then what are going to be the challenges for those who are in it? What's going to change in your, in your guess? For the ones who have not gotten into it yet. And is it too late? It's, it's, it's never too late. No, it's definitely never too late. I mean, listen, you, you see guys even now, um, you see guys even now that are getting into the business and getting into media or bringing their traditional business online and they're killing it. So I don't think it's ever too late. There's always room for a new angle or a new, you know, new perspective of, mm-hmm. of doing things. Um, I don't think it's too late, but uh, yeah, it's just so essential now. I, I think, you know, I'd, it just amazes me that I, I still come across people who uh, like I'm, I'm upgrading a website right now that had no social icons on the website. Like ha, really? It's so simple. It takes, it's very simple to add the social icons yeah. to the website, but a lot of websites, even they don't have the social icons and that, that cross pollination is the biggest 
thing. It's the most powerful thing right now is having the cross pollination between the website and the social media and the podcasts and all of the buzz from each one of those individual yeah. elements kind of working in tangent together. That's what I love about this. I mean, we're literally sitting here having a conversation. We're taking old school radio thought process and having a verbal conversation. But while we're doing it, there's a camera to my left and your right who's, that's recording everything we're doing. And from there, he's going to create a hundred, potentially a hundred pieces of content in the next week, just off of this hour long conversation that we're having. And it gives us the opportunity to not only expose us for who we really are, but to talk to people who are out there and say 99% of people that are going to see it couldn't care less. But that 1% is going to help us grow and evolve and not only get better at what we do, but give us more opportunities for more business so that we can continue to grow and evolve into something bigger and bigger every day. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm a big advocate for just keeping it simple. Yeah. I mean, listen, some, some media guys, you can sit and go through all of the analytics and really get technical. But at the end of the day, I have seen the most successful guys, guys like Gary Vee, Andy Frisella, mm -hmm. and even people that own traditional businesses. I've, they're the most successful, the guys that are keeping it simple and being authentic. That's like a dear friend of mine, Larry Citarelli from out in West Hampton beach, um, I introduced him to the online world and he just, he took it and he ran with it. And almost every day he films a clip, a personal clip, a, a vlog at the beach. And it's just so authentic. I mean, the guy's selling multi-million dollar homes, real estate developments. He's, he's a player and, um, but he's touched so many different people in the business and personal world. And what it really does is, Dean Miller Real Estate, Center Street Interactive, my company, um, First Hampton Realty, Larry's company, like any of these companies, they're, they're names. Like, but for someone to have come across a clip and be able to meet Larry virtually or hear some of the yeah. things that you're saying or connect with me, it changes things dramatically. Yep. Otherwise, you're really just a business name out there. That's exactly it. You're a commodity. That's the last thing any of us want to be. Exactly. Did I, before we wrap, is there anything we can do for you, for your audience? What value can we bring to you? What value can our audience bring to you? I love what you're doing. Uh, just you're again, I, one of those guys that, uh, you took it and ran with it. And I love the growth that I see from your company. I love the thinking outside the box and really just going after it. Um, so I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that we'll do together um, that'll be mutually beneficial. Yeah. Um, love what you're doing. Uh, we're fans of some of the same people. Yep. Um, I know you're doing some work with Gary V and Andy Frisella. I got involved with his company um, for the first form. He has that nutrition company, right. but I was originally introduced from him again, kind of being in the online world and getting hooked by his yeah. podcast. You know, Andy's a CEO of a big company, but I, I even at the time, I didn't know that he was the CEO of a nutrition company. Yep. Um, so I, I jumped on board with him with first form and I started repping his nutritional line with affiliate marketing and through my Instagram and everything else. Um, and that's been a ton of fun. You know, it's, it's been so much fun, uh, being involved with his company and promoting it. Um, you know, so yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff we can do together. 
Now you would like, like it or not, you've become somewhat of a micro influencer in, in the health and fitness world. Cause I see what you're doing and I see the engagement that you get from people uh, being involved with Andy, but just the way you take care of yourself personally as well. And with the journey that life has led you on uh, it, it's, it's great to see it is inspiring. I'm still 30. How much, pounds. how much time do we have left? Yeah. man? I, I talk about this all the time. My yeah. kids are like, dad, you always say you're going to die. And uh, it's uh, not even so much that I, I, I was watching, um, I was watching the other day, someone sent me the Steve Jobs video where he talks about living every day like you were dying. Okay. And it's the biggest cliche out there. Yeah. But like, if you really think about it, and I say this a lot, and I don't say it to be like morbid or, or negative, but like, it helps you appreciate each day. And if you really think about it, like, I'm, I'm 47, I'm approaching 50. Like, there are so many people that don't make it into their 70s, man. They don't make it into their 70s. So what, I got 20 years left? Yeah. I've lived... 47 years and I might have 20 left. That's not a lot of time. So, bro. so for those of you who are just listening and not watching, I just handed Benjamin a coin that I carry in my pocket every day. Read the front side of it first. What's it say? Memento Mori. Right. Now flip it over. I'll put my glasses on for this. Do you Hold want to pass it back? <laughs> <laughs> you could leave life right now. It comes from the whole world of stoic wisdom. But I truly believe that you have to live in the moment because if you don't, you're not guaranteed the next one. And I, I carry that and I carry a 1972 silver dollar and half a dollar in my pocket in, in memory of my, of my brother. Um, but I keep the three coins together at all times. And it's just my little way of always saying, you know what? No matter how tough things are, life, life doesn't suck. You're still breathing. You got out of bed this morning. You can make a difference in your own life. You can make a difference in someone else's life. You got to find the positive in every, every one of the cliches I've mentioned in the last 45 minutes to an hour, they're all going to come out right now. But I, I truly believe it. I, we're, we're blessed with the opportunity to live. And if you, you know, I talk about Gary Vee all the time, but what did he say? The odds of, of being conceived and being a human are one in 4 billion or some crazy number like that. You've got to, you can't take anything in life too serious. But you've got to take the fact that you're alive very serious and and use it to the benefit of everybody and anybody you can come in touch with. It's fucking amazing. I and, love it. That, and, that is great. And I'm, I'm I'm blessed to have the opportunity to have the people around me, the equipment around me, the 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 space to put messages like this out here and to to pull all those wonderful message out from you that, that you shared today. So Benjamin, I want to thank you so much for your time. We're going to link this up. I'm going to find the links to every single one of these things that you talked about today, or you could just email them to me and make my life easier. If you want. <laughs> uh, but you know, anybody who wants to support the kids and the football and, and the, the aneurysms and the, and the fundraising and all the things you do or to connect with you on a professional level to, to retain your services uh, and, and grow their businesses. You know, we're going to share all of that because it's the least we could do for your time. Uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you here. I look forward to evolving this relationship more and more as the years go by. And you know, if there's ever anything we can do to be of help to you, we're here for you. Thanks Thank so, you much. so much. So ladies and Thanks gentlemen, we'll wrap once again. Remember when opportunity knocks, you've got to open that door and see what's on the other side. Otherwise life's just not worth living. So get yourself out of your head. Go do something special today. Happy holidays, everybody. Awesome.